0: with another episode of Starting the Startup. I'm Jordan, I'm your host, I'm the owner of High Caliber Carding. Guys, I am very just blown away at how fast things just got moving since the last podcast. We were going and spent a little bit of time of working with contractors last times we uh, did this podcast and we went through a multiple different bidding options and basically we needed to get those things laid out so that we had a true realistic dollar amount what our build-out was going to be for our facility, but it was interesting. So we met with all these contractors and went through everything that they had to offer, what their bids were and everything, and it was quite interesting to see how large of a spread they were. Um, Our build-outs, we we were quoted anywhere from $1.4 million all the way down to $825,000. Now, that was something that we found really interesting, and we knew that some people were probably just bidding to try to get the job. Now, this is something that you're probably going to run into if you're dealing with a brick-and-mortar location, or anything with building, really. When you start getting bids out there for different, different things, I mean, really anything, even if you're trying to purchase something, or if you're trying to have something built, get more than one bid. And so this is something that we almost learned the hard way cuz the original the first time we went to go do this bid, we had this company Lauks uh, did a bid for us and they came in really high but we kind of anticipated that no matter what we were going to be going back and doing some type of rebid with some contractors and you know they they just seemed too high and we just we got that feeling when we were doing the interview with them. So when we went back and we got some contractors, there was a couple that really stood out and one of them was, I mean, we were just seriously rooting for it. They just seemed to understand us. The name of the company was Copper Rock. And um, they brought in something like 25 different contractors to come into this thing and, and bid it out for us. And, um, you know, we took them really serious. It seemed like they were really understanding the scope of the project and what we were looking for. But they came in about $100,000 under anybody else, which was great news at first. We decided to sit down and we just took all the contractors' bids side by side and we started writing out what they included, what they didn't include, and what the dollar amounts were for each category. So things like exterior paint or HVAC controls or electrical signage, you know, how much did they allocate for the budget for? And we started realizing that that Copper Rock, the one that we were really excited for, they had bid way low because they were missing a bunch of information, a bunch of stuff said at owner's expense. Now, had we not laid these things side by side, we probably wouldn't have seen this as easily. Because it's not like everybody gives the exact same clear bid. Like There's not this one piece of paper that has a form that you fill out to say, how much is electrical gonna be? And everybody writes a number on there. People mix this stuff up. Uh, one of the contractors put electrical and fire alarm in the same category. Well, fire alarm with the other two was $30,000. So we don't know how much they were charging for fire alarm and how much they were charging for electrical. So we had to combine the two for the others to be able to try to come up with that. Some of them didn't even light, uh, light on them out what the fire alarm was. They just put it with fire suppression. Um, it made it really hard to compare one to the other, but overwhelming when we got done, it was pretty obvious that we had really the people that bid in the middle seemed to understand the scope the most and have the most engagement with it, which makes sense because the ones that bid the most high didn't seem to take it really serious. And I think they were kind of expecting us to more of a mentality of if you want us, then you're going to have to pay for it. And the people that were super lowballing were hungry for the work. They really wanted it, and they were trying to get the low dollar amount to win the bid. Now we still have one more contractor that's going to come through do the bidding, but we had enough where we were able to go to a bank and uh, go back into underwriting. We were able to finish up the shareholder agreement. We started getting all the funds from all the investors. Which, guys, that is going to be a really fun point. Once the investors' money starts rolling in, you start seeing that bank account accumulate up in the the six figures and uh, just keeps populating. You know that. 200, 300,000 mark, it gets pretty exciting. There's no doubt about it. It's, everything starts to become a little bit real. So right now we're sitting with underwriting, getting ready to hopefully get a yes or no answer here pretty quick and be able to start moving along. We are running into a pretty tight time frame now. Now we're working with a bank that is a preferred lender for the Small Business Administration and working through them, they have the choice, basically if they say yes to us, then the Small Business Administration says yes automatically um most other banks they have to say yes and then they have to get approval done through the small business administration which can make the process six to nine month process doing it this way it gives us 45 days is where we could possibly be back in funding or be fully funded and at that point we sign lease and we go forward with opening up hopefully with an opening day of july 1st um, but there's a lot of things that are going to happen between now and then and hopefully this other contractor we're really kind of rooting for him he's the kind of the local mom and pop hero and somebody who can be our contract manager at multiple locations if we continue to expand. I say if, I should say when we continue to expand. So it has been very exciting. We got our new track layouts. Uh, We see the multiple tracks. We've uh, got a giant poster pinned up of our entire layout. Uh, The engineers drew out what it was gonna look like and we laid plexiglass over top and that way we could draw out what the customer flows were to make sure that there was nobody run into one another, there wasn't a heavy, dense congregation of people in one specific area that would make it feel cramped and make people want to leave. Um, Just really being able to walk through the facility in our heads uh, helped out a ton. Now, when we went through and did that, it was real quick to realize that we needed to restructure where our facilities were, like uh, our pit. We had a circular flow, you came through registration, through the briefing room into the helmets and equipment area and then into the pit area and then you got out on the other side, which tend to work out pretty well, but we realized there was a boundary between the, in the pit where people would be getting their helmets and where they'd be returning them at the next race. And this was a big realization point of what I want to talk about today on the, today's podcast is really high quality, being of, above average than anybody else. So hopefully anybody listening to this podcast is building something that takes, takes, our, it takes your industry to the next step, makes it better, makes things out there just overall more fluid or, or motivating. Or I, I don't know. Ba- capitalism is designed to basically try to phase out whatever your product is. So as soon as you build your product, capitalism is designed to make it obsolete. That's, that's, that's the world we live in. It's, it, that's, that's how the next great idea comes out. That's how the next leader comes out, is they find ways of making what you are designing, what you are about to release, obsolete. So you need to have the highest quality to make sure that development to make it obsolete happens as long down the road as physically possible. So, for example... We're looking at this cart track thing and, you know, we're, we're looking at this, the customer flows and everything, but we realized that, you know, there's going to be an issue where customers are picking up helmets and putting away helmets. So when we're looking at this, we're trying to figure out how are we going to avoid this issue? And what we wanted to do is we wanted to get our employees to take the helmets from people and put them back on the shelves. And we were trying to figure out, does that make sense? And as we did this, we started kind of handling them ourselves and just seeing, you know, how would that flow work and doing it. You know, there's a, we have a pile of helmets here from all the stupid crap we do out here on my property. And we started doing it and we realized, you know, these lenses and everything being handled as much are going to get filthy. And Connor said, you know, every day they're going to wipe these things down. So we started thinking, OK, what how much time is that going to take? So we started doing a time study. I monitored how long it took for him to clean out out his visor, just disconnect it, wipe it all down, clean it up, put it back on place, no smears, and we looked and it took about 30 seconds for him to do it, and he he did it in kind of a rush fashion a little bit at first, you could tell he realized he was, so he slowed down a little bit, so we decided to call it a minute per helmet. We got 24 helmets of each size, we got 5 different sizes, Um, It's a lot of helmets to clean, consistently. And we were thinking this once per day and we broke it down and we looked and ended up being, break. Uh, if we looked at, you know, we paid somebody, let's say with benefits and everything, it cost us $15 an hour and that's all they were doing, how long it took them to clean all the helmets, how often they'd have to clean them. And then we projected that out over a year and found out what is it gonna cost us for somebody to clean these helmets. And it was $12,000. And I looked at him and asked him, what does it cost to be, or what, what is it worth to have those helmets cleaned every single time somebody touches them? versus once a year. And Connor asked me, what's it worth to not do that? So that's what I'm kinda getting at with that idea of that high quality. I'm looking at what the additional expense is. He's looking at what the expense could be if we didn't do it. And that expense would be, somebody's gonna do it better than us, which is gonna push us towards being obsolete. Now, I know that might seem ridiculous, like nobody's going to go to a different entertainment venue or a cart track or whatever just because the visors weren't clean and the other one was, but it's all those little things that add up. And it it really hit me home where this week, as a team, we decided we were going to help out with this this, uh, uh, this local school, our Savior Lutheran. My daughter goes to it, and the teacher wanted to do a project on economics. And as we discussed, long story short, we decided we were going to teach these kids how to build birdhouses and have a work ethic of building the marketing packet and advertising it and selling it and understanding all the different sales tactics and things that go into that. So we started teaching the kids this and I ordered, I, I was donating all the books and the money and to buy the materials and everything and I was putting uh, getting this thing organized with a teacher and it ended up becoming a really large project. We decided we were gonna give all the money from it, which if we sold all of it, the, each birdhouse was being sold at $20 a piece if we gave all of that money, or if we sold all of those, we'd make $2,000. There was a local family that was desperately in need, so we decided we were gonna donate it to them for them to be able to buy clothes for their family. So we could teach the kids giving back to the community. Well, so we go through and we have the kids build their marketing packet and pre-sell, and they sell like 70 of them, I think it was, uh, before we even got started on construction. So, I hop on Amazon, I order the birdhouses I was looking at. They were about four bucks a piece, and it was these kits. And I got them, and they were pieces of crap. They were horrible. It was built of just this balsa wood, just this terrible junk. And I looked at it and thought, you know, if somebody asked me to give them $20 towards a good cause, I'd give them $20 and be written off in my head. If I was buying a birdhouse for $20 or buying something for $20 and the proceeds were going to to a family in need or whatever, I wouldn't want to get a piece of crap in return. I'd rather get nothing. So I stood for a few days trying to figure out what to do and I met with my team and I kinda of showed them what was going on and we decided to just build our own birdhouses. Now I know building birdhouses doesn't sound like a lot of work, but when you gotta build 100 of them, it's, it actually tends to be quite a bit of work. But this is this is back to that whole idea of top quality. You know, we could have easily just put together these cheap little birdhouses. It wouldn't have been any work at all, but we knew that it wasn't going to represent us well. It wasn't going to represent the kids well, and people wouldn't want to do this type of thing in the future. So I was able to talk a couple a couple members of my team into coming over in the evenings and be able to help work with this. So um, Casey and Kevin with High Caliber Cardi, they came over, and we just started cutting up all the materials and just making these things work and trying to figure out... What's the right size birdhouse that we're going to do this for? So one thing that was really cool about this is as we had a pursuit of higher perfection or of making a better product, we also interacted with the local vendors and we were able to get a discount with that. The feedback we got from all the teachers and the people purchasing it was just they were overwhelmed in the high quality of it and people felt like they actually got real value out of it and it didn't cost us any more money. Now, it did cost us a ton of time. I started it at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday and I worked in two o'clock until two o'clock in the morning, uh, just nonstop, no food, no drink, nothing. Um, Kevin and Casey were there for, I think, eight hours combined between the two of them during that. The next morning woke up at 7am, got started on it right away. Didn't do anything all day until six o'clock at night, I think was when I finished up. And I mean, from Friday morning until, Saturday night, I didn't even eat. I was so busy trying to get this stuff together because we were putting them together on a Monday morning. But I was so, so badly wanted them to be high quality that I was willing to sacrifice a lot of additional effort to make that happen. And What, I, what I'm getting at is that quality has to be a component of everything you do. Everything in your business, everything you're offering, you need to be offering the best version of what you're offering no matter what because you are what you do repeatedly. And if you think that capitalism is, tr- is going to try to encourage people to make your product obsolete, make it the best damn product you can because then it's going to take somebody a long time to improve upon that. The longer your product is relevant in the market, the more money you make from it. So, if you think about it, let's go with like the iPhone 8. You know, that's a phone that was out for, God, I don't know, a year, year and a half, two years. I have no idea. But they, they continued to push and develop for the next upgrade. But they had competition that were trying to make that iPhone 8 obsolete and have a better product immediately. And everything in the industry, everything in, in really all of our economy is this way. It's trying to improve upon something that was either a problem before and fix it and solve, making a solution. Or it's trying to improve quality. Now, there, those are one and the same thing. If you have an issue with something, it's probably because it's not the best quality that it can be. So your product, your offering, it needs to solve something. It needs to be better than something. Otherwise, you don't have any competitive advantage. Um, God, I tried. There was a famous quote out there, and I honestly I don't remember who it was from. Um, but he said, if you don't have a competitive advantage, don't compete. And that that that's perfect. That's exactly it. You have to be better. You have to have some type of added value. So as we were going through this, it got me thinking that, you know, I can project trying to do your best and putting your best face forward and highest quality with everything I do as much as possible. But, you know, your employees or the people that work with you are always going to do things in a percentage of what you do. So let's say you're negative about something they're gonna be twice as negative as you are because not only are they already frustrated with the situation as well as you are, but they also hear that the person that they see as their leader or their mentor is also frustrated with it. It's kinda of like if you, you're frustrated with something and then your spouse is upset with it too or your parents are upset with it too, it definitely frustrates you more. Now, the inverse can happen where if you're overly positive about something that some people are positive about, they're probably gonna reflect that a little more, even be a little more positive, they feed off of you. Now. It's a little bit different emotions versus physical output or effectiveness so if I let's say I work at hundred percent efficiency of your average person all the time the people that work with me see me as a outlier I'm the owner of the business I'm the, I'm the founder I need to be the person who is putting forth the most effort all the time because if they see me putting in hundred percent, they're going to be happy with putting in eighty percent because they're not the owner. They're not the person that should be putting all the effort. So if I put in fifty percent, my employees are probably only going to put in forty percent. So when we're looking at this quality thing, that is kind of a physical output thing. I need to expect the best of the best with everything I do and show that as a part of my of myself of my personality, so that my employees are they raise their bar a little bit closer to me, and. So it, as these small things like these birdhouses come in, you, you, you are what you do repeatedly. So everything you do. So if, it, if that shopping cart is sitting out in the parking lot, grab it and return it. If somebody needs help, lend a hand. You know, the guy who forgot his wallet at the gas station, he's sitting at the pump running on fumes. Go help him out. You know, everything you do needs to show that you are the best and you have the highest quality that's out there. Not just for your offering and for your business, but in everything that you do. And it shouldn't be that hard to do. It should be something you're doing already because if you can't do that, you're gonna have a hard time no matter what. You're gonna have a hard time in anything you do. So you need to really ask yourself that question. Are you offering something better? So as we did that, that made me ask that question. Are we offering something better? What is our competitive advantage? And I reached out to the general manager, Zach Bingham of our facility, and I asked him, Zach, I want you to identify five sponsors that you could see that would be for our cart track, but I want you to not just identify them. I want you to come up with what the pitch is going to be, why they will get more out of the money, uh, out of the sponsorship than they will pay in by having the sponsorship up. So let's say the sponsorship costs $1,000 or something like that for a track sponsorship. They need to get a return on more than $1,000 by a long shot. So we can look at how many impressions there are, how many lasting impressions, the customer demographic, how it relates, and he took right to it. He made a list, and he made a list of, I think, seven people right off the bat, or seven companies, and the added value of why it would be very beneficial, why it makes sense for them to advertise to us, which is just sales. But we're putting their best interest first. We want to make sure that they're going to get more out of it than what we are going to charge for it, because that's how we're going to have that repeat customer that comes in. They're going to see the value that comes into it. That's just being a high-quality salesperson. That's being a high-quality vendor or 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 whatever you call it, but it's about being the best, being the best person to, to work with and being the best company to work for. And guys, you got to ask yourself that. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Or are you just trying to sell a bunch of cheap crap that's out of there? Are you trying to pitch something that's just going to make you rich quick? Are you looking at it for the money? Or are you out there just to be the best of the best and just to sheer dominate the competition and make it so that You can't become obsolete. They can't be better than you. Constantly improving yourself before somebody can improve upon you. It's the only way to escape capitalism. It's a great thing. It's the reason why we're all here. We're all doing the exact same thing. Whatever you're doing right now, you're trying to put somebody else's idea out of business. And people are gonna do that to you. The only way you're gonna win it is by constantly raising the bar. Constantly being the best the best version of you, the best version of your company, the best version of your product, and expecting nothing less.